Forever Young Old Welcome to the November 2019 edition of Bookplate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. I'm Annie, and in this book, I'm probably one of the characters at Revive, but I don't know which one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know which one. <laughs> I'm Brit, and in this book, and in real life, I'm every black person who's sick of this bullshit. Ugh, so true. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Uh, Okay, (laughs) let's get into it. Yeah. Our amuse-bouche for today. We always start with our amuse-bouche, which is the first bite of the topic in the book, so we can kind of get a handle on what we're going to discuss today. Winter Halpern posts a tone-deaf racist tweet on the internet thinking she's making a joke and it blows up in her face. After she starts to feel the consequences of her actions, including being denied her college entry, she takes drastic measures to try and fix her situation. Signing up for Revive was her idea. Now trapped in an online shaming recovery hospice, (laughs) she's supposed to write apologies to everyone who called her out. But if her words are what got her here in the first place, how can words get her out? This is a book by, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering this name, Lila or Layla Sales. All right. And not her first novel either. She has a few books under her belt. Yeah. I've read one of their Tonight the Streets Are Ours. Oh, not yeah. the the Song Will Save Your Life. That's the no, one that I that's the one know. that everybody's heard of. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that one. I, I liked the other one. Yeah. It was like kind of a contemporary romance, which isn't really my thing and sort of a little like too many coincidences for them to meet, but it was cute. Okay. This book is not cute. Friends. No, so not cute. <laughs> In case you didn't get it already, neither Brit nor I enjoyed this book. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be a <laughs> critique episode. Just wait for it. Okay. Other cover take. This is when we ask our significant others what they thought of the story or the novel just by looking at the front and Jamal, who is my significant other, also a black man. <laughs> just in case nobody knows that said it's a story of drama and when keeping it real goes wrong maybe somebody has dirt but isn't snitching which makes sense if you (laughs) know he's a black man I wouldn't say snitching but (laughs) my husband Garrett who was white said he looked at the cover for a long time and he you know he usually like tries to do his graphic design eye but it's really just like a black and white picture of a girl like laying in a field listening to She's got like earbuds in yeah, and then it's like the, the titles in color. Yeah. And he's like, and I'm like, yeah, there's no clues there. Are there? And he's like, it's about a teenage girl who is having a hard time in life. I'm like, that could be literally any YA, but okay. He's like, maybe it's cause you know, she's like gay or trans and is like dealing with that. And I'm like, funny that you say that. Cause it's kind of the opposite. She is someone who is harming marginalized people. And he was like, oh, okay. I mean, it does look like maybe, I don't know, somebody who you want to feel sorry for. Mm. I'm like, well, that is what the author seems to have been going for. So, And it's also one of these where she has the same graphic designer for all the novels. So they're all yeah, kind they're of... all the same sort of style yeah, of cover. Even though this is not a romance <laughs> in any way. And I'm. it looks like most of her other novels are. What is The Streets one? Oh, you said Tonight that The Streets Are Ours. Yeah. And I think The Song with Sailor Lice is also a romance, right? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'm making that up. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> but yeah, I think 
you know, I get wanting to brand your books and wanting everyone, everything to look like that. But if we are trying to get something from the cover and it really doesn't give us anything. Honestly, the book is called If You Don't Have Anything Nice to Say. And the other half of that phrase is if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. So I guess we're done with this episode. <laughs> and we'll see you in December. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So our appetizer is One Night of Freedom Snacks. So they're in this uh, revive, which is like... Um, Reputation rehab? Yeah. Which I guess this must be real. But anyway, there's like one night where they sneak out and they go to a um, gas station. And so they get a disturbing number of Cheetos and king size <laughs> peanut M&Ms. <laughs> the premise is, as you heard in the amuse-bouche, is that she, the main character, Winter, puts up a tone deaf racist tweet, which basically claims that black people can't spell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, a black kid could actually win the spelling bee. Yeah. And so a lot of things that come out in this novel are probably if things you've heard or maybe even think if you are a person paying attention to social media or social commentary in t- today's day and age, which is 2019. So there's a lot of I don't see color. Winter's best friend is Jason, a black man. And when we first meet him in the book, there's no description of what he looks like other than how hot he is. Until he finally says that he's black and Winter responds with, I don't see color. There is a lot of only naming race for non-white folks in the book. Honestly, most white authors still do that, like in my reading experience. I think the first book, I think I probably have mentioned this before, but the first book by a white author that I've read where like race wasn't named because of like a historical context where you needed to know was a novella by rainbow rowell it's the one where they're in line for the star wars movie yeah i, I know we've talked about this before i don't yeah. know the title and she's like oh a tall white blonde guy and i'm like did she just describe him as white because she's describing what he looks like and there's no like there's not a plot reason for it like i was literally floored like that's the first time i'd ever seen that from a white author and that book is not old <laughs> no it's not it's only like two or three years maybe a little bit but like this decade yeah yeah but there's a lot of like white as the default and not yeah only mentioning like a character's race if they're non-white so that you picture them as non-white because otherwise the default in your head is oh they must be white of course all readers who all happen to be you know young white girls only see white characters (laughs) i mean let's let's delve into this a little bit the the reason why white is default is because white supremacy. Like may, you may have heard me say this before <laughs> and maybe you're tired of people pointing this out. But our nation, our country, our social constructs, our culture, everything that we experience in the United States is based on a concept of whiteness. It's built on the backs of black and brown people whose land we stole and who we forced to come here to make labor for white folks so that we could build wealth for white folks so that we could create a country built about wealth for white folks. So if you are writing a book and you are saying things like, I don't see color and only describing people who are not white in the book, you are upholding this concept that white is the default, white is the power, white is the thing that everyone lives and breathes and only when you're not white do we need to know anything about it. Mm-hmm. 
and I have said this before, but I'm going to reiterate because I think this is the, the crux of the matter of this book is that it has no concept of intersectionality. We don't live in a blank white culture. We don't live in a blank white society. When you walk down the street, it's not like you only see white faces. You can tell who's white and who's not white by just visually looking at who's on the street with you. It's not actually a thing to not see white people unless you are intentionally ignoring them or live in a community that's just only white. Do you want to say something about that? A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) We had this really awkward professional development thing at my work one time where we were talking about privilege and the presenter asked us to line up in order of least to most privileged like in terms of our identity so me and like the three other black women were at the far end of the line (laughs) the like you know couple of white men were at the other side And then in the middle were people of color, like not black, like some Asian teachers and things like that. And so they basically asked you to line up in rainbow order. Mm -hmm. But a white gay man made a big show of marching past all the black women and walking out the door. What? Because he was just like so far off the line. He wasn't even on the line anymore. And it's like, really, sir? Like nobody, not that anybody should have to hide their identity, but you can if you want to. Like if you were walking down the street, nobody would know you're gay if they just glance at you. Like it's not, it's, and it's, I don't know, this whole like, no one's going to follow you in a store and think that you're stealing shit. Right. No one's going to deny you a bank loan. And it's not that, you know, gay people don't face oppression and discrimination and things like that. But, like, I just, the way that he just, okay, well, like, and walked past all of us and, like, went out the door and was like, you know, look at me. Like, I'm so oppressed. And it's like, really, white man? <laughs> the drama of it and the need to center himself. Yeah. I think I mean that again goes back to white supremacy this concept the need to center whiteness yeah because people who are white but have other marginalized identities always have whiteness to fall back on always yeah and it's systemic right like being bullied as a young person because of whatever reason you said something stupid, you weren't cute. You were, I mean, for me, I was called out as fat a lot. I got a lot of fat bullying when I was a kid. I was also just weird being called out for that. doesn't affect my ability to get a job. It doesn't affect my ability to be paid at a certain level. It doesn't affect my ability again to get a bank loan or to move forward into this country and get like the concept of social services that exist for white folks. But if I wasn't white, then yes, you are affected by that. We know for a fact that banks discriminate against people of color, specifically black people. We know for a fact that your name on your resume affects how you get called back for job interviews. It affects how you move through the rest of your life and not just a moment where your feelings were hurt when you were 15. You know, I did a little bit of research for this. Layla Sales gave a lot of interviews about it and she talks about how she did not actually experience online harassment. Her 1.0 version from one of the 
interviews that she gave was that someone put something about her on a blackboard or a whiteboard, something in her high school, and it's because she was writing a blog that hurt people's feelings. So she did hurt other people's feelings. We have no context of what she said. And then someone posted about her at the school on a whiteboard, but this is before the internet and most social media was really, really big. So she kind of got by unscathed. It's not affecting her ability to get work. She has multiple book deals. It's not affecting her ability to make money. But she just imagined how that would have happened now. And I think you can write about anything you want, but we do have this concept of own voices where if you are going to write about an experience that someone else had, it's once removed. It's not actually, you're actually telling someone else's story. And if you're going to do that, you need to be really careful and you should go through a whole bunch of sensitivity readers to make sure that you're getting it right. And I, yeah, it doesn't mean you can't do it. Just really make the effort to do it well. Yeah. And just reading one book, talking to one person, imagining your personal experience. And frankly, it looks like all of those folks were white. It misses out the entire concept of what online harassment does to people with intersectional identities in this world. One of the other things I really didn't like is that she goes back and forth in the book between like, okay, she describes when we meet the characters at Revive, she describes the ones who are not white. But then there's a scene where they all do volunteer work in the book. And one, I don't know why they tell people who they are when they do the volunteer work tear work because there's a couple of comments where like oh they found out who so-and-so was and then they got mad at him and I'm like why when you're doing volunteer work are you again centering it about yourself (laughs) you're there to volunteer for these people who need help it's not about you yeah right so she goes to this one teen pregnancy center and we get what appears to me to be Layla Sales trying to write African-American vernacular English in a way that's pretty stilted and then we don't get a description of who the person is she's talking to, but we're at a teen pregnancy center in LA. You can make some assumptions that we that this character is supposed to be black. And I ha- I think that was the one that offended me the most out of all of it, frankly. She also did that with... So there, the, one of the other people at Revibe is this woman who was like a child actor and like a lot of kids looked up to her, but then she wanted to break away from her like goody two shoes Disney image and like went a little wild and partied and like all these parents were angry at her. Cause it's like, you're supposed to be a role model for our children, blah, blah, blah. And she's black. And I know at one point she, the character, she says, you crazy. Mm. And I'm like, Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so we're doing that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not laughing. Cause I think it's funny. I'm laughing. Cause I it's know. Like so terrible. <laughs> Well, and you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the acknowledgments for the book, though, she says, I acknowledge that issues of privilege, microaggressions and culpability are nuanced and complicated and that I did not get everything right. That's so. a really easy way to say, like, don't hurt. Don't, yeah. like, don't take me to task. My bad. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of AAVE also. One of, let me, I I highlighted it, I know, because I highlighted a bunch of quotes. The newspaper that says, I will bring up something if you're still looking. Sure. I thought it was really (laughs) interesting that she set this in Berkeley, because she's from the Midwest and she lives in New York, and Berkeley is actually one of these, like, whitewashed places that has this very very structural racism built into its streets. It's actually one of the like case studies for redlining 
in this country and I highly recommend if anyone's interested in that to to look it up there's a really good East Bay Express article um, about the hidden monuments to racism built into these Berkeley neighborhoods and the rumor I heard which I could not find in my very brief research was that it specifically is built to not have straight streets so that black people couldn't march in protest. And when you go through Berkeley, it's all like curve this dead end here. You know, it's, it's very much one of these like suburban neighborhoods that make it really hard to actually see what's going on and kind of hide, hide back in there. And then they, with the redlining, they absolutely like only allowed white people to buy that property. So Redlining, for folks who don't know, is was a government-sanctioned form of segregation after the civil rights movement where black people specifically were denied bank loans in white real estate communities. And this was something that the United States government participated in and uh, raided the areas on. And the, the higher the concentration of black people, the worse that area was raided for real estate. And the lower concentration, the better. And then Black people who wanted to move into those neighborhoods that were better were not allowed to have bank loans. It's one of the ways that they stole intergenerational wealth from African-Americans and created a larger divide between the intersection of race and class in this nation. Fascinating history. But Berkeley specifically is this like prime example. And there's no discussion of that. I mean, you're writing a book. I don't know. I was just like, it's so surface level and it's YA, but you're everything about what you write into your novel reflects the story that you're telling. Yeah. If you are a good writer, like the character's background, the character's history, the place, all of that should directly be a reason to be that way in your story. It's what makes it a richer reading experience. And those of us who are from those places or have those backgrounds will know if it doesn't feel right. Yeah. I found it after her tweet or whatever goes viral. Her sister's friend sends her a Yahoo article and she says, her sister says, the headline is Spelling Bee Champ Disses Minorities. And she says, disses? What kind of reputable news source uses disses? Ouch. Like, okay. (laughs) So, AAVE, African American Vernacular English, is an actual dialect because like there are certain like structural grammatical rules it's not just like random and why is it okay that we include or like absorb words from other languages when there isn't an english word for it or even if there is but we still say oh let's rendezvous at the park or let's i don't know eat sushi like sushi is a japanese word but like when it's disses when it's you know, black slang that has become mainstream, then it's like looked down on as like uneducated or something wrong with it when it's just a different way of speaking. It's pretty intense. I mean, and it's of course, again, tied into like reputation or an education or what's another she's one? saying the news is no longer reliable or reputable because they use the word disses, but I would argue the opposite because the news reflects the culture and like black culture like becomes pop culture because it's cool and people want to like participate in it. Yeah. And it's just that that devaluation, all of that is coded language for black. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It's like if you're if you 
are upholding only one way to speak and you're devaluing another way to speak, it's usually about coded language and the people that are using that language. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So many things. Okay. Do you want to say anything more about that? We're going to move on to the online stuff. That's fine. Okay. So our main course, which are super healthy, quote unquote, catered meals. Again, at this whole revive thing, they like only eat healthy foods. <laughs> There's a lot of weird food stuff. I don't know. It seemed a little weird. Let's talk about public shaming. So this book is about, quote unquote, public shaming. But it completely misses the mark for me between public shaming and online harassment. Being called out for something you said is one thing, but having someone go online and stalk and harass you and dox you is another. Which and there's no nobody nuance. did to her. What? Well, nobody did. No that one to did her. that. Like people, people, you know, like take things too far on the internet. That's how it goes sometimes. And people are like, oh, you know, you're ugly or you're fat or whatever. But like nobody's showed up at her house exactly. or like threatened her or whatever or maybe she left it out on purpose i don't know but like there's nothing about that in here and there's just no nuance to it and i think and there's also no discussion on how women particularly black women and other people of color experience more on more online harassment than others there's Mm -hmm. none of that in here at all and i'm like you can't talk about online harassment if you can't talk about that yeah you're just not looking at the full picture yeah and with revibe the people that are in there are in there for such different reasons, but it's all just treated like you fucked up and like, we're going to teach you how to move on from it or whatever. There is the, you know, child actress turned like adult human woman who wants to party. There is a woman who like left her band and joined this other band and like, they ended up like coercing her into like doing sexual favors for them and didn't make her part of the band. So everybody slut shamed her. And then there's a guy who threw his neighbor's cat down a trash chute. And then there's a guy who there's the politician who cheated on his, who cheated on his wife wife. with a gay man. And so, and also misused funds. Yeah. Used his government email address to sign up for grinder or whatever. Like really bro. And then there was the guy who shot a tiger because it came into his backyard and like his four-year-old daughter was out there like there's these are all so different and like each one of these things could be its own like and the kid who jumped off the roof oh yeah Abe so his father was like cheating people out of money but he knew about it and so he got online harassment and tried to kill himself over it and I think and I don't And she called him brave for jumping everything is just written as given in here there's really just no nuance and for that piece in particular, I was like, this is a missed opportunity to discuss how teens yes. are more likely to commit suicide when they are experiencing bullying and the adults are not. I mean, you have that here, but you have no why. Are we just supposed to assume we all know that? Like, I thought that was a real missed opportunity to discuss how it af- disproportionately affects younger people than older people. And like, that's really harmful that she, the character was like, I think you're brave. I could never go to the top of a building and jump. That takes guts. Like, (sighs) can we not? There's just so much more. It's so much more layered than she is. She's like very surface level. And there's like so many different layers to it. And like, you know, then there's the opposite idea that people who think people who think like people who try to kill themselves are selfish because they don't understand like mental illness and whatever. 
but like maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle where we're like not dissing someone for trying to kill themselves but also not saying hey man good job you almost had it Really? Like, I just, this book, yo. <laughs> I really don't understand who she pitched this to that thought it was a good idea. Oh. I have many questions. And, you know, if you're a YA author and you're used to writing, like, light, fluffy material and you're trying to give online harassment a light, fluffy, <laughs> like, frosting on the top, this is just not the topic for it. It's just not. It isn't. I will speak from personal experience. I am experiencing online harassment to this day. I went through a very large peak of it between 2017 and 2018. So I now go to therapy once a week. I specifically talk to my therapist about the online harassment experience. I have done a lot of research into what I could possibly do to mitigate it. And this is does not stem from something stupid I said on the internet, although I will absolutely admit I have said many stupid things on the internet. Yeah, same. And if someone came back and like interacted with me about it, that's fine. Although the one that people were most mad about was my discussion of mayonnaise cake, which I'll take you on any day about that. You're making a face. I just, the words mayonnaise and cake together well sound alarming no people were very alarmed but mayonnaise is made out of eggs and oil that's what i was just goes into cake yeah and there there are recipes that stem from uh world war ii and the great depression when it's Mm. a scarcity Mm -hmm. model mayonnaise lasts longer you don't have to get fresh eggs yeah there's a lot of reasons why it's a pretty cool shortcut for bakers yeah and people were just like completely offended because mayonnaise is a trigger word these days (laughs) I'll stand by that. I'll stand by my opinion on that. I have multiple (laughs) recipes. So I just like, I've had this experience and just even the technical description of how the online harassment happens in this book is off. It doesn't make any sense. There's only one photo of her that circulates around the internet, but her account, which we can only assume was Twitter, was public. And I'm assuming she had other social accounts that were probably also public. If you are a teenager in 2019, you are posting photos onto your social media accounts and they could only find one. I just didn't buy it. Mm. BuzzFeed is named as one of the media outlets, runs a top 10 response article, but no one tries to dox her, which we already mentioned. No mail is sent to her house. She gets online threats, but no in-person threats. If people really, I mean, the the internet can find you. They have your information out there. Like I know my information is published and I just want to bring up a couple of examples. Ijoma Ulo, who wrote, so you want to talk about race and is a black woman who lives in Seattle was in the last six, no, it's more, it's shorter than that. In like the last three months since I started reading this book was doxxed to the point where she received bomb threats at her home oh with her God. children and had to move and go to ho- a hotel and like figure out what was going on. And, and that's just because she writes about race, not because she said something stupid. It's because she's a black woman writing about race. Or we can take the example of Christine, and I'm going to say this wrong, Blazy Ford, or Blassie Ford, who was the Kavanaugh hearing witness Mm -hmm. and how she had to also move because she was experiencing so much online harassment. And just this morning, I was looking at Twitter where a Asian Jewish American woman journalist is wrote a piece about how Facebook still has white supremacy uh, groups on it and is being used as a platform for white supremacy and in the last three days has had articles go up about her on three different um, white supremacy forums including Breitbart which um, is using all kinds of awful language about her personal identity and sending pieces uh, people after her who are making rape threats and death threats in her you know 
Twitter DMs and she's a journalist. This is her job. The the lack of concept of like who gets this harassment, why they get their harassment, who is harassing them is different than just saying something stupid and having people put you on blast. They are entirely different experiences. Yes. And in this book, she's like, I'm the victim. This was done to me. People are attacking me. Like people hate me and all of this stuff. And it's like, no, you said something and there are consequences. Nobody's like, it's not a punishment. Like it's just you need to understand like why what you said is not cool. I have made a stupid comment on the internet. I made a comment that I didn't realize was ableist and I got called out for it. Like not to this degree, but you know, yeah, it sucks to like be handed your ass, but then like you learn from it and you're like, damn, I can see how that was really harmful. And like, let me not do that again. Cause that's really shitty. And then you move on. And so does everyone else. That's, the point like in this book it's like my whole life is ruined and like that doesn't happen in real life like cancel culture is not real and when I read this book or since reading this book I guess maybe I was just like my brain was more like hyper aware of these issues so when I was reading Twitter just randomly checking not even looking for it I just bookmarked tweets that talked about that so here's a few there's one should I name yeah. the people's ads well or, how do we feel I don't know <laughs> It's up to you. I mean, I'm okay with naming ads. We can decide to put or not to put that in the notes for the show. Even mm. though my show notes are really lame. I'm sorry, read listeners. <laughs> <laughs> We're still kind of new at this. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess it's not like I don't want to like take credit for the words, but I also don't want to like I would name their I would credit like... them if it's something that you feel wouldn't create backlash, right? Versus like outing them. It's your decision on okay. what that is. All right. How about this? If they have a blue check mark, then I will oh, name them. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. So one person said, it's important to reflect on how much grace is extended to white fragility and how little is required for full redemption when a white person weaponizes that fragility to hurt others. Many replies to this quote unquote apology, which is the whole Sarah Dessen thing. Mm. Oh my God. Mm. Um, are a perfect example of that. Oh, Sarah Dessen. That's a whole thing that... <laughs> Somebody else wrote, it's so scummy to me when people do something legitimately shitty, then use the fact that they get death threats for it or whatever to gain sympathy. Like there's always going to be people on the internet who take things too far. That doesn't prove that you did nothing wrong. Mm. All right. This person is um, verified. So I'm going to name him. Alex Winter wrote, the term cancel culture is a bad faith fallacy. There's only consequence culture. It's long overdue. And most of the exposed predators have yet to face meaningful consequences. And then at some point, I don't remember which thread it was, but somebody pointed out that the woman, maybe it was this thread, the woman who was flying to Africa and like tweeted about like the eight she's mentioned in here. Yeah. Yeah. And like she had lost her job by the time she landed on the plane because she made a comment about AIDS. It's been like, what, six years and she's reemployed by the same company. She's reemployed by the same company. Yeah. Yeah. Justine Sacco. Yeah. Also a white lady. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last one I want to read, which is the best one, in my opinion, Sarah Jong. I hope I'm saying that name right. People keep asking for my opinion on cancel culture. And the only thing I have to say is that the Atlantic was nearly destroyed in 1869 by thousands of subscription cancellations over an article by Harriet Beecher Stowe insinuating that Lord Byron fucked his sister. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I want to read that article now. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there's a link to it. I mean, not that the internet was there then, but, you know. 
media yeah. and poetry were the, were the internet before now. Yeah. Well, yeah. why did I say poetry? It's because I've been listening to East Bay yesterday, which is a pretty great podcast I recommend. And they were talking about how poets were like the famous people back in the day and the East Bay had like famous poets that they were like in a battle, kind of like the way rappers these days have battles over and beef over the internet, but it's like white poetry, poetry <laughs> from the 1800s. I love it. Uh, I mean, I just want to point out a few other pieces that I just like just made it not real. And I think, I guess that's my problem is like, if you're going to write fantasy, write fantasy. Mm. If you're going to write reality, write reality. I don't yeah. know. It's like, what fiction are you writing? But they, yeah. she talks about how the media expert, like that was one of my favorite parts. Like the media expert was talking about how far the tweet was going to go, but didn't mention the content of the tweet or why people might have a problem with it. And then like her response is she just deletes her accounts completely instead of purging and going private. Like there's so many options. And then there's this whole piece about her parents and how her mother is a blogger and is a baby blogger and how that's like affected how they live their lives, you know? And so it's all about like being extraordinary. And my comment is, isn't the very definition of internet famous being extraordinary? <laughs> like how does, there's this whole thing is like, oh, the parent strategy didn't work. I'm like, well, she's extraordinary. Maybe not in the way that you wanted her to be, but she's not dead. She's not on the street. She doesn't have, she's not doing drugs. She's not addicted. She has no baby. She has no abusive partners and she's not in jail. So how did you fail raising that child? You know, I just, <laughs> I'm like, there's no consequence to this. She got a little sad, you know? Oh, okay. Here, I found a quote, another quote that I had highlighted because like just a few pages ago, she was saying that, oh my gosh, now it's like my fault if, you know, my mom's books or whatever blogs don't sell because like, you know, she's supposed to be a parenting expert, but then they'll see me and say, well, she couldn't have done that good of a job. And then she says, People and then later she says people who didn't want to hire my mom just because of me were idiots. I'm like, well, which one is it? Which one is it? <laughs> which just... one is it? And it's, <laughs> I I think I get what she's trying to do with this book. The author, I think she is like, whatever happens to those people after the internet, quote unquote, cancels them. Like, you know, what becomes of them? And like, we forget about them and everybody moves on and like nothing really happens to them yeah. other than like they got like put on blast online. Well, their audiences hopefully change. I mean, we don't know. Right. But we can see from all of these men who've been canceled in the Me Too culture who are now hired at different places or back on their comedy tours or whatever they're doing. Clearly, they're still making money. You know, again, it's about the systemic intersectionality, right? Like, how do these structures support certain types of power? If you're a white dude, there's no consequence. If you're a dude, dude, there's very little <laughs> dude, consequence. Dude. <laughs> Person of color, you know, Aziz Ansari. Is that how you say it? I think so. He's still making money. Right. I personally don't support those folks, but I also didn't find them very funny to begin with. So it's not yeah. a big loss for me that I now make moral decisions about not watching them. Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yeah. Like that was just a thing and then it wasn't and now people are like okay with him again like was that ever addressed because i don't remember like nope hearing any he didn't get fired no like these are the people in power we know for a fact let's let's take sexual assault as an example 
when someone reports a sexual assault, they're the ones who get hurt. It's yeah. not their assaulter. Yeah. That's why people don't report. Yeah. So it's, there's just like cancel culture is just not really it's what not. we're talking about. Thing. It's, I think what it is is this consequence culture. People don't like being told that they did something wrong. Yeah. And that's because for most of their lives, people in power are protected from yes. knowing that their actions and lives and privilege does hurt people. You know, they're just protected from that because they live in a little bubble. Now and with social media, our bubbles are a bit bigger. Yeah. And even in this book, like as much as it wants to think or pretends that it is like, you know, examining all sides is still ultimately about coddling her white feelings and making her feel better because people were mean to her on the Internet. There's comments like, oh, well, you know, you made the mistake of saying something online that you should have just said to your friend or like oh you did the same thing other people do only like you were caught or yeah just like a whole number of or how like she just vehemently blamed the woman who retweeted her or whatever and yeah. like went after her and was like it's her fault i'm in here and blah 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 and then that woman helps her <laughs> i wow so yes and then her apology is that yeah we can let's talk about that her apology is not really an apology there is a woman named francesca ramsey i think yeah who um, has a video on YouTube of how to apologize when you've been called out. And she talks about how she made a transphobic comment and got called out for it and like what she learned from it. And step one is say what you did wrong, like acknowledge it. Step two is like actually apologize without, without saying like if or but like, I'm sorry if I hurt you or I'm no caveat. Sorry, but I didn't mean to. And sh the main character, what's her name? Winter? Winter. She does that in this book. She's like, I'm sorry. I thought I was making a joke. So she's still like defending herself. And like, and then in the video, Francesca says like, it's not about intent, right? Like I could step on your toe and break it. And like, I didn't mean to, but you still have a broken toe and it still really fucking hurts. <laughs> like that doesn't change anything. And then the third step she says is to say, thank you. Like, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Winter doesn't do that. And the fourth step is to like really commit to doing better and like use, you know, your actions are going to show more than your words, like that you've really learned something from this. And like, there's no evidence of that either. Winter just like, she spends the whole first half of the article saying, here's who I'm not going to apologize to. Mm -hmm. Like the people who called me names and the people who were mean to me and the blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, sorry to all the black people and my friend Jason, like, and then she asked him to help her to tell her what to do so that they could be friends again. Like she's still expecting him to do the labor for her just like he did when he explained why her comment was hurtful in the first place. And then he ends up apologizing to her because like he made a comment on the article instead of talking directly to her. And then at the end, she white explains microaggressions to him. Oh God. I, I, <laughs> It really does just codify whiteness as like and, and white women's tears and fragility as okay, it doesn't matter. You know, your feelings are valid and more valid than actually all of these other people's feelings from what you did. Yeah. There's like barely any mention of like the kid who won the spelling bee and then what there was like a some people who started on a website or something like black people or a hashtag oh, like yeah. black people can spell or whatever. The meme. Yeah. I thought that was genius. Yeah, that's dope. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about like poor winter. She made this mistake. And then at the end, like she gets her jollies from writing to other people 
who do stupid shit like she did and telling them like it gets better like the guy the journalist who posed as a gay man on like a site like grinder or something like that and would like entrap people people especially politicians because it was dc and then out them and like that's fucking vile and she's like you know i'm not here to offer you forgiveness because it's not my place you know that but i can just tell you that like you'll move past this one day and you'll be fine and blah 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 and it gets better so i did a little bit of research earlier right before we started reading this uh doing the audio recording where i was looking up some articles that Layla sales had done to kind of advertise the book and talk about the experience and one of them on medium called you can't called can you escape the internet she's directly quoted as saying it's this feeling that you have no moral compass that you are capable of being hurtful without even trying and i want to talk again about white supremacy and how (laughs) you are capable of being hurtful without even trying if the system works that way intentionally that's the whole point is that it gives privilege to white people and takes away resources health freedom of speech and all of our other rights from people of color that's how it works and it also works in a way so that you don't see it so that you participate in it without even knowing right there's a quote where i don't remember who she's talking to but of the journalist who like retweeted her and like brought more attention to this than like people would have otherwise um she said it turns out she's not the one cause of my life being destroyed any more than I'm the one cause of Rachel, of Rachel, of racial inequality. Like literally no one said that (laughs) (laughs) except for you. Like nobody thinks you're the one cause of racial inequality. And that's the problem is that like people see it because white people are allowed to be individuals and to be seen as individuals. So it's like, well, I didn't do that. Like I'm not the one who denied anybody a bank loan. Like, I'm not racist. My family didn't own slaves. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's, it's a whole system. And no, nobody said you're the one cause of racial inequality. But like, if you can't see that you're upholding it and like contributing to it, which despite so many people telling her how she is, like she didn't want to listen. That's the problem. Nobody's saying you're responsible for all of racism everywhere. Again, it's like the lack of nuance in this book. Yeah. She didn't want to think that she was a bad person. And yeah, it's a diff- all about being a bad person or yeah. a good person and not about like your actions. No, you are, per- you have, you are inhabiting a certain body at a certain time in a certain place in this world. It's not about being a good or bad person. It's seeing what's going on and are you going to challenge the systems of inequality or an oppression or are you going to just be cool with it because it's not hurting you. What was the quote from the one article where she said, what one of the ones I was looking at earlier? Yeah. I don't it'll, know. It'll come to me probably like two in the morning. <laughs> Let's just delve a little bit more into this bad person thing. Like it is a spectrum. You might not think you're a bad person, but from someone else's perspective, you could be the worst type of person, right? I mean, that's kind of how this white supremacy stuff is going on right now. If you are a Jewish, uh, Chinese, American woman, you know, you're the worst type of person to these white guys who don't want to be told about their privilege, you know, like you are the worst person to them. So it's like you can't, there's no way that there's like a sacred space in this world where you're always a good person. That, that does not exist. Was that 
you who tweeted if everybody likes you like that's probably a oh, problem yes. or whatever yes. like i remember seeing that the other day and i was like damn <laughs> that was because of the sarah Dustin thing which we can talk mm. about if we want but i was actually thinking about implementing like a, se- a second segment or something on the podcast or just if we need to do like a phone call and talk about it called dish where we just talk about the YA gossip of the, of the i month. love it <laughs> yes dish oh because the Yes. Okay, cute. <laughs> I try. I try. Yeah. <laughs> that quote. That's the one. You can read it. So this is from one of the articles. This one's from North of the Internet. We attribute everyone's reasons for the stuff that they do to malice, but usually the reason is not malice. It's often just ignorance or laziness. But nobody, I mean, I I don't attribute what everyone does I to malice. Either. <laughs> I don't think people are intentionally trying to be evil. I think they're just ignorant. And that's why... People call them out and tell them why they're wrong because it's like you don't know why what you said is a problem. So let me tell you why it's offensive, why it's hurtful, why it's contributing to systems that keep people marginalized. And she's just like, everybody hates me. They think I'm evil. Like, And she even starts off the book by saying, like, I'm a bad person. And it's just not it's just n- not that simple. And that's also a way an easy way to get away with not right looking oh at i'm just a bad really person going on. so <laughs> can't expect anything more of me right like no yeah. well with the sarah dessen stuff just for if anyone's interested side dish side dish Ooh, side, side dish, dish. <laughs> <laughs> uh so the ya world loves a good bit of gossip you know i read all these books i'm fascinated by it i follow a lot of authors i'm just interested in how big social concepts like kind of filter out into this place where we're we're allowed to talk about it on more of like a very emotional like down-to-earth level and this author decided to basically put on blast a young woman who a young woman of color who had mentioned her briefly in an article where she joined a group of individuals who are choosing a book for the incoming class of this college to read Mm -hmm. all of the freshmen read one book a year and the quote said something like Sarah Dessen is just is for younger people and like not what we need for the folks coming into college and that's fine for teenage girls but not what we're looking for kind of thing yeah and so basically she joined to keep Sarah Dessen out of it but she went on to say the reason why is because she wanted a book by a woman of color to talk about social issues for the incoming freshmen so that they could basically widen their experience and be ready to like get this knowledge that you get from college, right? Yes. But Sarah Dustin didn't include that. No. She left out the fact that the book that was chosen was about injustice and the criminal justice system. We should say the name of it. I can't remember. Ugh, I'll have to find it. Yeah. She conveniently left that out and was like, well, I hope you feel good for like hurting my feelings and all of her. She has a platform and a responsibility and all of her author friends, including some women of color, which really, really disappointed me. Like Angie Thomas jumped in, Roxanne Gay jumped in and everybody was like, oh my gosh, like this horrible part. How could you say that? Blah, blah, blah. And like somebody Siobhan Vivian said like oh that fucking bitch and then Sarah Dessen tweeted like I love you in response and Angie Thomas like they had chosen the hate you give before as one of the books and ready player one has been one of the books one time so it's not a bias against YA half of the books that they've chosen have been by women it's not a bias against women it's like you got your feelings hurt because 
there was a book that was more important than yours, like more relevant than yours for this group of college kids. Yeah, she said, fuck that raggedy ass fucking bitch. That's- no, that's Danielle Clayton who well, said that. That one? Yeah, I remember. Oh, Another yeah. black woman who jumped to her defense. Wow. And like, I'm just, I'm, ugh. it's just really disappointing that like nobody bothered to get the whole context before. She's saying, I will save you. I will protect you. White fragility. And then she tried to blame it on like, because YA is like more targeted towards girls and women and because she writes specifically for teenage girls that it's viewed as lesser than. And that is true, but that's a whole other issue. And that's not this because this committee has chosen books by women and YA authors before. So she's like dredging up something that she knows like other people have strong feelings about looking down upon of YA because it's associated with girls and like using that to like stoke her ego essentially. That has to be a trigger for YA authors. I bet their work is devalued all the time and they get people telling them that all the time. But that's not what this was. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think she got hurt because of that. Yeah. And maybe I don't even know if she read the rest of the article or if she could even conceptualize why there would be another book chosen over her book. Just like you don't need to be the one chosen all the time. So the book that was is Just Mercy by activist and lawyer Brian Stevenson. Its subject is Anthony Ray Hinton, a man exonerated from death row by Stevenson's work, who came to speak on the campus. So, I mean, and I've read a Sarah Dessen novel, one of the ones that was chosen for for every young adult, and I didn't enjoy it. I didn't either. She's like the Nicholas Sparks of YA. Am I allowed to say that? You're allowed to say it. Whatever you want, Britt. This is an opinion podcast. <laughs> Side dish. Yeah. I I mean, my reviews are not hidden or anything. I'm happy to share if you folks want to go and, you know, critique my taste. And Maybe we books. should say that, like, we don't speak for Forever Young Adult as an organization. Like, these True. are our opinions. We do not speak for Forever Young Adult. These are our opinions. I mean, if I was choosing the novels for what we all read, it would be look real different <laughs> than what we currently read. There would be way more sci-fi and fantasy and way less just regular fiction because it's not my thing. But so already I'm prejudiced against anything that's just fiction, you know, contemporary. But I went back and read my review and saw that I'd given it two stars. <laughs> and it, it's specifically mentioned about how boring it was. <laughs> I was like, you did good writing, but man, that story just didn't hit, basically, mm. you know? And that's fine. That book wasn't written for me. That's, and, and that's fine. Like, if you're writing social commentary and critique in a book that should be, like, read and discussed in a college class like that's one thing and I think that is the hate you give and I think that is some other YA that we've seen absolutely but if you're just if you're just writing for you know white girls who need to feel good about themselves that's not what a college that's not a college level book I mean unless you're just going to white girl college some people are (laughs) yeah so I had to read a book not all of our uh, freshman coming in and read the same book but we all had to take like freshman intro freshman classes at my school and I this is gonna say a lot about me but I didn't know what economics was before college I had not had to take an economics class my high school didn't have it either I, I like kind of looked it up but like not enough to really know what I was getting myself into but I signed up for this class because the book we were reading was a book about school vouchers and I knew that I wanted to know more about that and make an informed opinion on whether or not I thought that was a good idea. Because this is like late ni- late 90s, early 2000s when they were trying to, they're still trying to privatize school. But, you know, I had feelings coming from public school about whether or not vouchers would be good for folks. And so I read the book 
And then the end report that we had to write was like a written critique on the book. But the point was to show, you know, economic graphs about impact to support your argument about the book. And I partnered with someone who did really good on the graphs. Like I wasn't good at the graphing part of economics. I also just didn't believe in capitalism. So there was a lot of problems happening. And that professor was probably the most sexist, racist professor I've ever had in my life. Um, he was a bad guy. <laughs> uh, but uh, he gave me a bad grade on the final report. And I think it's just because he didn't agree with my critique. Hmm. Right? He like wanted me to uphold his opinion. And I didn't. Oh, I had a history teacher like that in high school. Yeah, like the kids who got good grades were the kids who like parroted everything he said and his view of history. And if he like dared to, you know, say, well, I think of it this way, then you were wrong. He wrote a con. So when we had report cards in high school, they were called comment cards. And in his comment card on, he wrote insulting my personality, essentially. He said that I had a dry sense of humor and that it wasn't like doing me any favors. Ew. Yeah. Wow. In my comment card. He did apologize to me later, which I wasn't expecting, so I appreciated it, but and like the fact that you like thought about what to say about me as a student and put that in writing on my comment card, like really, bro? <laughs> Are you the one who brought it up to him or did he choose to apologize on his own? I don't remember. I really don't. And my um, best friend at the time, who was also a black girl, he had said something similar to her about like something about like her personality, like not being appealing or whatever, like coded fucking language. Yeah. And he's a white man, obviously. So too loud, (laughs) too angry. God. Okay. We have a couple other topics to go back to. I just I just don't think she had a sensitivity reader for this at all. There's just some other comments, especially about the wheelchair situation and reading these articles. It looks like she read people's experiences and looked at YouTube and then wrote the book. But she doesn't say that she had an expert read it over. And it felt really exploitative to me. I was actually really uncomfortable with that piece. I was like. I'm glad that there was a character who was disabled in the book because I think we need to normalize. We definitely need more disabled rep, but like that's not it. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. And I mean, you're a big name author. You can afford a sensitivity reader. <laughs> Just I have had someone who's not even published yet use me as a sensitivity <laughs> reader. You know, like it's available to you out there. For dessert, we have fig bar and almond milk. And I just wanted to bring up this. I mean, maybe it's... I don't know, maybe it's just my perspective is so different. There's a whole comment on how Winter is obsessed with words, right? She's the spelling bee person. She knows needs to know how to spell all these words. She likes writing. She writes all everyone else's apologies. People keep telling her she's really good at it. But then there's a comment where she doesn't care about the meaning of the words. Where is that? Uh, it was I can't remember somewhere in the book where I was just like, what? <laughs> how can you be obsessed with words but not care about their meaning? Hmm. I mean, again, I think that just really speaks to, like, not knowing what impact your words are going to have. Yeah. I thought that was weird. That is weird. And then all these apologies that everyone wants her to write. I mean, the other thing there that I thought was weird is, like, you think all these other people can't write? I don't know. I just, there is a lot. Yeah, that was icky that she wrote everybody else's apologies for them. So in the end, nobody learns, basically. (laughs) 
speaking of like the impact of our words, like she keeps saying that she meant it as a joke, like the comment about who knew a black kid could win the spelling bee. It was just a joke, you know, and that is such a go to response for to put the blame on like the oppressed person instead of like your actions that were oppressive is to say like, God, you can't take a joke or like everybody's just looking for something to be offended nowadays or like I didn't mean anything by it, you know, whatever. And that's just such like a cop out because when she's talking to Jason and he's like, well, what did you mean by it? And she's like, black people aren't as good spellers. <laughs> she actually says that. Yeah. So it's like, it's not a joke. Like it's coming from a belief that you have. And like when people challenge you on that belief, like listen to them. Yeah, and why can't black people spell? Well, you probably already assume that AAVE is not a language. You don't realize how much this country has worked to take education away from black people. The segregation, you know, separate but not equal is a whole court case, folks. You know, like, none of that, that that's only a generation right. ago. Like, none of that is factoring into your concepts of, like, how that might affect kids your age these days. Or, like, your idea of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only actual consequence in this whole entire thing that I saw was the college piece, and I didn't buy it. Mm. I was like, college is really going to not accept you? Like, your grades didn't drop. There's some caveats that colleges have. Usually it's around grades. Like, if you keep up your grade point average, then we'll accept you. But your grades didn't drop, and did anyone lobby the college for you not to go? Because I've seen that a couple times. There's been... I, I'm not gonna remember this guy's name, but there was like some dude who was gonna go to Harvard to do some sort of fellowship, and then the internet lobbied to not have him go, and he didn't go. Mm. But like that's because they knew that guy was a problem, and they're like, Harvard, why are you giving this man a platform? Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a s- child student. It's not a 18, 17, 18 year old that people are lobbying against not going to college. I have seen no evidence of that, right? Except for maybe the MAGA hat kid, but like. I'd write a letter to tell people not to accept him into your college unless it's like a white institution, in which case I don't care. The MAGA hat is like a modern day clan hood or swastika. It really is like a symbol of hate and oppression. So like there's no, <laughs> you get whatever's happening to you if you feel emboldened enough to wear that shit. Yeah. And it's not like, funny. And all the jokes around it are not funny. And when I see red hats with other things on them, I, it scares like, the crap out of me. I have a physical reaction. Like if I see somebody wearing a red hat and then I look closer and I'm like, oh God especially if it's a person of color i'm just like what are you doing don't be a kanye right oh god (laughs) don't be a kanye it's like don't be a jerry do you watch rick and morty at all no speaking of people who did stupid shit and wrote a good apology i'm not gonna remember what this guy's name is but the guy one of the people associated with that show he's either the creator or the producer or something he got called out for sexist comments towards women and he wrote a real apology about his about Mm. like what he was going to change about it and they've worked to include more women writers in the writing room and have worked on that show so like it's possible it is to do if you (laughs) actually want to acknowledge your mistakes and do better yeah which most people don't because it's hard well, it's hard work and like they feel like she says something about like having to be an entirely different person. It's just like, why don't why aren't you just a person that just learns from your mistakes? Actually, I think I put that in here. Just this is the last piece is the drinks, all the Gatorade. There's a whole. <laughs> oh, my God. Her friends are like theater movie geeks and they are trying to make a Gatorade commercial. <laughs> and uh, 
at the beginning, which comes around in the end. I thought that was funny. Like, I could see how the writer is funny and, like, could do comedy well. But just, like, this book isn't... If it's supposed to be funny, it's not that funny. Hmm. And I don't think this topic is funny. So, I don't know. But, like, her mother's blog. God, it just made me so mad. And then all this stuff about, like, how they want to shell out all this money for a fixer. But they don't offer to send her to therapy. And they don't hire a person to write them, write her apology for her or do an interview, which the MAGA hot kid totally got. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, there are examples of what people do in this place. And then she just had her parents kind of go off the deep end and like this obsession with fixing it. I don't know. I was like, therapy would have helped her a lot, especially with the depression episodes that she goes through. But like, that's not even mentioned in the book. But she tries all these other like crazy solutions, not crazy, just like. More money, more niche solutions, outlandish. Yeah. But like nothing, but like maybe therapy, maybe therapy. (laughs) Because it's not about like her doing better. It's about like, oh my gosh, how can we make this look like it didn't happen? Let's pay somebody to move the Google search a couple pages away so people don't see it when they Google you. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, like winter, like, you know, using her college money to go to this like reputation rehab place. I mean, like, part of her reasoning was that she she said she wanted to, like, learn. But I don't know. I don't see that she does. Like, I think it's like, look at me. I'm a good person. I'm going to show that I'm really committed to changing. But then she doesn't. No, she's still a bad person who doesn't care to examine her own privilege. That's what we get in the end. There was something she says, something like you can do like a million good things, but make one mistake and then everybody defines you by your one mistake. But it's like, I don't murder people every day. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I don't expect people to congratulate me on not murdering people. But like, if I were to murder someone, I would expect some backlash over that. Like, that's an extreme example. But like, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Like, ugh. I was not racist today, like, and nobody <laughs> said anything. And then I say one racist thing, and everybody hates me. Like, gosh, why don't you think about all the times that I wasn't racist? <laughs> <laughs> why don't you center me in the dialogue? Yeah, that was my comment on Twitter. Was like one of the things I've learned about being harassed online is not everybody needs to like you. And in fact, those people who are actual true assholes, actual true white supremacists, or incel folks, and like some of the people messing with me are I don't want them to like me (laughs) they can go over there and hate me all they want it just gives me power it's just like if you truly are a person that everyone likes I think that you're a manipulator Mm -hmm. because you're yes that's what it was that you said yeah yeah (laughs) you're manipulating your image or you're changing based on who you're with and you're not true to yourself and and usually people who are doing that are abusive Mm -hmm. and they and they're doing that so they can cover up their abuse and even in winter's like fake ass apology she says like do I want you to like me of course I want everyone to like me but I guess that's just not gonna happen like who actually wants everyone to like them? maybe in high school it's easier if you think everyone likes you but like nobody likes everyone no <laughs> no or there's nobody that everyone likes rather no or you're Jeff Goldblum and come out with the problem you know like <laughs> yeah, right yeah it's like okay we're waiting for the other shoe to drop like I remember when the whole like me too movement came out somebody tweeted and the tweet went went viral and it said please let weird al still be a good person (laughs) and i think weird al retweeted it too and i'm just like weird al like 
if he did something wrong, like my <laughs> world would be over. <laughs> like <laughs> everybody likes Weird Al. Yeah. Maybe except for the people whose songs he made fun of. Maybe. I don't think Coolio likes him very much. There's I saw him in concert and there is a, a couple of the old videos that were like really violent mm. and it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, that's the older material, but, you yeah. know, yeah, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And it's OK. And you can like something that someone does and like also acknowledge that they're not a good person. Let's go back to Kanye. <laughs> I have a lot of friends who don't listen to him after a certain album because yeah. <laughs> that's when shit went downhill yeah <laughs> yeah well what should the moral of the story have been I, yeah that's what a, what was it and what should it have been i think what was it is like you can't do anything gotta just live your life <laughs> i don't know what it should have been is like your feelings aren't the most important part of this experience Right. Like if you really, truly want to make the world a better place, your feelings are going to get hurt. Be ready to be the villain in someone's story. Hmm. Who's whose story do you want to be the villain in? That's the quote. I po- I posted something about that recently on Instagram and I'm not going to know the name of the person off the top, but their handle is like queer. I don't know if it's queer therapist, something like that. But it was like if you really want to fight oppression and inequality in this world, be ready to be the villain in a few stories. Mm. And my commentary was, yeah, you can, this is really important, especially for people in government. You know, we have something going on right now in San Francisco that's pretty bad, but, and it kind of is reflexive to me of what's going on in this nation as a whole. We have someone who's a pretty bad guy in our highest office. And when you see people abusing power, you got to ask yourself, are you the whistleblower or are you Bill Barr? (laughs) You know, who in whose story do you want to be the villain? Yeah, I think the moral of the story, I don't think it is what it thought it w- wanted to be. But I think it's like, it's OK when you do something and everybody hates you for it. You'll be fine. It's not the end of the world. I understand there are other people that it happened to, too. <laughs> don't kill yourself. <laughs> Sorry, just- and it should be. <laughs> Like, acknowledge when you fuck up, swallow your pride, learn and do better. (laughs) And that's not what it was. It was just like, oh, I've been there. It happens. Yeah. And I think what we see from Winter and what it looks like from Lila Sells and the interviews that she did and all that is like, she doesn't think she did something wrong. She still really doesn't. Like, that's why she was able to write all those fake ass apologies for the other people. And she was just hamming it up like... And having, like, fun with it. And they were like, cool, thanks. So, like, they don't really get anything out of it either. Yeah. Or, like, maybe the moral's like, keep it to yourself next time, right? Like, oh, you said something that you should have just, like, or you put something on the internet that you should have just told to your friend. Or we all do it, but you just got caught. Like, yeah. or if there's you a are lot of that. Write commentary, or excuse me, if you are going to write com- comedy, maybe, like, try it out with an audience first before you <laughs> go, like, internet public. I don't know. <sighs> yeah there's a lot there's a lot of ways it could have gone and you know one of the articles that I read just said she had a really hard time writing the second half of the book and I think it's clear that she didn't know what the ending was yeah. supposed to be and I've been trying to write about my online harassment for a long time now and what I have written is like 
something that I'm afraid to share because I think it would like reinvigorate this, this person's harassment against me. And so it's really hard. This is a hard topic. This is a hard topic that our culture, our whole world is only just figuring out how to maneuver in and manage. I think we do need stories about it and about like how to manage this experience. But I, but where's the story about the spelling bee kid and like how his victory was completely overshadowed by this bullshit. And like, it's not that this point of view isn't, valid because like people who do find themselves in these situations probably would turn to a book like this for help but like they're not going to learn how to do better from this book they're just going to reinforce that like oh okay it wasn't that bad like people will forget about me at some point and like I'll be able to move on with my life without having to acknowledge what I did yeah I mean that's fine for some people like living in your privilege it's not going to hurt you you know, you can move on and it'll blow over and someone else's idiotic thing will be the new mm-hmm. thing that everybody's looking at. So have you seen some of those tweets where it's like Twitter is a game and every day you try not to be the one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We'll see. I think I think it does remain to be seen. And I think the one the last thing I want to comment about this that I think we haven't gotten into is how we've talked about this before, but how like technology itself has built in racism into it yes. because it's built by people, usually white men and Asian men, but usually men. And so there's like inherent inequality built into the system. Right. And all of the platforms that we use were built by white men and white men yep. who like are now going through congressional hearings about how badly it is <laughs> abusing people and mismanaging information and hurting in individual lives so this is a bigger story yeah and we don't know what the ending is yeah I mean I just just reading this book I it seemed twitter ish like the platform that she would have written this on so I'm just thinking of twitter and maybe that's because like that's the main social media I use I don't know but like our president has a twitter account and has violated the terms of service like probably every other day but like jack said that he's not going to kick him off twitter because like i don't know like entertainment value or whatever like it brings attention to twitter there's a tweet from somebody i follow who said oh it's like the two-year anniversary of like my favorite tweet that i ever made she's like i'm not going to repost it because last time i got banned for a while but then like people who like have followed her for a while are like i got you and they like posted it and it was something like you know nazis are people too they have families they have children like they they cry and it's important to remember that it's still okay to shoot them or like something like that right but then like actual nazis are on twitter like threatening people every day and nothing happens to them yep we have a white supremacy issue that we need to deal with so that is the why that's that's the wider commentary yeah <sighs> okay yeah she just I don't, she wasn't ready <laughs> I wonder if like someone picked this who's also experienced online harassment for something stupid they said maybe i don't know it's like it's it's like a pat on the back for like people who've done it it's like look what happened in winter she did it and she made it out okay like you will too it's not <laughs> that's the moral but that's not what it should be yeah it's not what it should be <laughs> all right well that's it for now yes it turns out <laughs> even though we 
didn't have nice things to say, we said a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) If you loved it, I would love to know why. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm... Maybe, I mean, again, this is totally my bias. I'm not into contemporary. I didn't really like any of the characters. And I thought, I just like. I didn't either. And I didn't think it was a, it didn't think it was the real world. It was like one step over sci-fi world, you know? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, until next time then. Book appetit. Fuck you.